0: And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Party time! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the PackerNet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist as always, Ryan Schmidt. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, I tried to warn you. I tried to tell you, I I tried to keep you aware and up-to-date on what's going on. And uh, many of you doubted me, you didn't believe me, but now I have irrefutable proof. Um, I I think it was pretty concrete before, when I laid this all out for you, but for you few doubters out there who said, no, he's just some crazy conspiracy theorist, whatever, all right, all right, we'll see about that. Um, I had mentioned how it seems to be abundantly clear at this point that Tom Brady has, in fact, sold his soul to the devil, that he is working in uh, cahoots. I wanted to do something better there, but that's that's as good as I could come up with. He must be in cahoots with him. I have in front of me irrefutable proof. So we've already gone over the fact, I think on numerous occasions now, how Tom Brady, who um, somehow despite being drafted as late as he was, not uh, for any reason that is malicious. It's not, uh, well, they just hated him, but he was super talented. No, he was untalented, and he was slow, and he just wasn't good at stuff. This guy somehow ends up not just making it by some miracle, not just starting and being somewhat of a decent player as a starter for... A, and, and, and that in and of itself would be a feel-good story. Tom Brady, drafted basically last, might as well have been an undrafted free agent. Um, actually, despite all odds, started for a few years and has been a successful backup, making several million dollars. And he is now retired and has a uh, motivational speaking company. No, no, no. That's not what happened to Tom Brady. Drew Bledsoe was a starting quarterback who just so happened to go out because of injury. How, how very convenient. So you got this guy. Not very promising, who's waiting in the wings. Drew Bledsoe, proven quality starter, goes out with an injury, and here comes Tom Brady. Goofy-looking guy with a keg. Zero muscle tone anywhere, anywhere. I don't even think his calves had signs of muscle musculature. And he goes on to be the winningest, the best, the greatest. He's won more Super Bowls than anybody ever and will ever win. He goes on to uh, be massively rich and marry a supermodel, literally marries a supermodel. He wants to leave uh, New England and go other places, so he goes to Tampa Bay, and he brings basically all his best friends with him, and they go on to win another Super Bowl. There's also talk about his wife doing, uh, you know, weird rituals and kind of creepy, dark art kind of stuff. But we'll leave that alone. Let's just say that that's... uh, We'll just set that to the side. You can dabble in that if you want. Well, somebody took it upon themselves to look not just at the success of Tom Brady, but how just his aura, this demon, emanates magic everywhere he goes. Tom Brady was born in California in 1977. So here's the thing. I'm starting to move away from He Sold His Soul to more of a... uh, was that Rosemary's Baby kind of situation? This is Rosemary's Baby. When was that? When did that movie come out? Because I'm about to freak out right now. All right, the film was 1968, so it doesn't exactly line up, but it's pretty, it's it's close enough for me. Maybe that was just a foreshadowing of what was to come. I don't know. Point is, Tom Brady is not of this world. So he was born in 1977. Right? He was in California from 1977 to 1994. In that span. In 1979, they drafted Joe Montana. In 1980, the Oakland Raiders won the Super Bowl. In 1981, the 49ers won the Super Bowl. In 1984, the 49ers won the Super Bowl. In 1988, the 49ers won the Super Bowl. In 1989, the 49ers won the Super Bowl. In 1989, also, the Oakland A's won the World Series. And then in 1994, the 49ers once again won the Super Bowl. He then goes off to college in Ann Arbor, in Detroit. In that span, the Red Wings blow up. In 1995, the Red Wings are conference champions. In 1996, the Red Wings win the Stanley Cup. In 97, the Red Wings win the Stanley Cup. In 98, Michigan are national champions. And then in 2001, the Red Wings once again win the Stanley Cup. In 2001, he's drafted by the Patriots. Or no, in 2001, he's in New England. That wasn't when he was. He wasn't. Anyways, timeline might not be perfect. Somebody else did it, but it is what it is. 2001, obviously, the Patriots win the Super Bowl 2001, 3, and 4, but also the Red Sox win the World Series and break their curse in 2004, go on to win again in 2007, as do the Patriots in 2007. In 2008, the Boston Celtics win the NBA championship. The Bruins in 2011 win the Stanley Cup. In 2013, the Red Sox once again win the World Series. Patriots go to win in 2014 and 16. Red Sox again in 2018, as well as the Patriots in 2018. In 2020, he moves to Tampa. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers win the Super Bowl. The Lightning win the Stanley Cup. And the Rays are on track to win the World Series. By on track, I mean they're quite good. What are they, second best in the AL? Not saying I know they're going to win, but if, uh, if you're going to put some money down, I wouldn't. I mean, granted, they met their quota, in one year, you got the Lightning and you've got the, uh, the Buccaneers, I mean, within a year. So, you know, it's not like the Rays have to win. But that's crazy. That's crazy. In the time Tom Brady was in uh, San Francisco or in California, from 77 to 94, I don't know if there was a Winninger area than California. Yes, I said Winninger. 95 through whatever time period. Detroit, at least the Red Wings, go on an absolute tear. Boston. Not just the Patriots. All of Boston. Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics, and Bruins. Just winning. Red Sox dominant after being trash forever. Same with the Patriots, by the way. And then you throw in one Celtics championship and one Bruins Stanley Cup. He goes to Tampa Bay and you got the Lightning and the Buccaneers both tearing it up and the Rays potentially. So the bottom line is as long as Tom Brady is... Well, there's two things. Um, as long as Tom Brady is in the NFL, we don't stand much of a chance. Also, we have to, have to find a way to get that guy to move to Wisconsin. You, you want to know what the Wisconsin curse? I don't know why there's a curse in Wisconsin. I don't know exactly what that is. But Tom Brady not being here might be part of it. But we got to figure out what the curse is here, get rid of it, and uh, maybe getting Tom Brady. Or- Has he even set foot in Wisconsin recently? Oh, the, the uh, he did, because that last game we played. Maybe that broke it. I mean, he came here and won because he's Tom Brady, but since that time, what's happened? What are the Bucks doing right now? Maybe him just stepping foot here for a day broke it. I don't know if we can get through Tom Brady, but the Bucks and the Brewers got a real shot here. Did anybody prominent in Wisconsin die recently? Any Any kind of... Anybody leave? Jamal Williams. Oh, say it's not so. <laughs> Anyways, we'll get off this, but... I'm telling you, dude, there's something weird with that guy. I don't like it. Anyways, let's move on. Have you ever seen the Hollywood movie, Rosemary's Baby? That's what you have. It's like Rosemary's Reptile. In other news on the college football front, just wanted to let you all know, give you a little bit of update. Mr. Dane Brugler of The Athletic has released his top uh, quarterback prospects, and coming in at number three is my guy, Mr. Matt Corral. Don't really have anything to elaborate on that. I just felt like bringing that up because that's just how I roll. Partially because he seems to be dropping down the rankings, if I can pull this up quickly here. Um, every time I check to see where he is to see, hey, is he shooting up boards yet? If people figured it out yet? He keeps going down. So if we look right now at the quarterback rankings via the 2022 Consensus Big Board Rankings at NFL Mock Draft Database. Um, Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler, Kedon Slovis, who should not—he's not good; at, he's not very good. Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, J.T. Daniels, Carson Strong, Tyler Shaw, Phil Jerkovic, and then Matt Corral is after that. So again, if you can find some uh, betting site that determines when guys get drafted, and you can bet the over on them, uh, go ahead and bet the over on Matt Corral because people are still sleeping on the man, and uh, I don't mind it because. I just keep getting to say the obvious and looking more like a genius because as soon as everybody's on board, then I'm just, you know, like, no, oh, this is not super fun anymore, but thought you should know for those of you that are big time draft buffs and whatnot. And I'm I'm pretty excited. I'm getting to the point where the YouTube might be s- just screaming back. Um, not entirely sure what I'm going to do with it, but th- I'm leaning toward short, basically short podcasts in video form of the Green Bay Packers. I'm, you know, toying with NFL. Obviously, any big breaking NFL stuff, I can do that. But, and then maybe just once a week doing um, just mock drafts because that's what the channel started as. But kind of lean in that direction, mostly for the sake of time. It's hard to transition to an NFL thing or even a draft thing because college football is something that I'm not as plugged into Um, so it would be easier to just do a short-form podcast and video form, and uh, that way I can get out daily stuff, which is my style. My wife keeps telling me it doesn't have to be every day. It's like, if it's not every day, I'm not doing it because it's stupid. If I'm doing it once a week, there's no point in doing it. That's just the way that I operate. (laughs) It's really that simple. If I can't do it, I can't do it, but I've got to find a way to do it um, so keep your eyes peeled for that, I'm not, the the original plan for the YouTubes was, uh, July 1st, obviously that came and went, and it was a little ridiculous anyways, I guess I thought that, uh, I wouldn't use the entire month as a move-in, so I'm pushing it back one more month, and hopefully by August 1st, uh, I did get my brand new desk, which is kind of cool, as you saw, I was trying to figure out the arrangement of it, where to put the mic and all that, I think I kind of got it, um, but it's still hard to, you know, with with my keyboard and mouse and everything. But I'll get it figured out. Now I got to figure out where the camera goes. Got to get the d- backdrop figured out. But I'm gonna have again recruit my daughter to help me kind of decorate and make it look kind of cool. Um, so I've got uh, I've got a little bit of time for that. That is uh, Pack Daddy NFL, by the way. I've been purging uh, subscribers, and I'm very close to 4,000 subscribers on there. And I'd like to cross that at some point and not have to recoup. For the next couple months. So if you wouldn't mind checking that out, again, going to be some regular Packers content over there as well as NFL Draft if you're into that. Also in the news, and this is kind of crazy, I don't know when this is happening or where this is happening, but apparently um, Thomas Dimitrov, the former uh, GM of the Atlanta Falcons, I don't know why I was blanking, I'm looking at a picture of the Falcons right now, I just was completely drawing a blank on it, He is going to be starting a television show all about being an NFL GM, which sounds like the most amazing show in the world, and I don't know why somebody hasn't done it. I don't know exactly what they're going to be doing. If they're just going to be, it's going to be like some lame little talk show where they just tell stories, which is probably what it is, and it's not my favorite thing. Um, But I'm still going to tune in because it's interesting to kind of get the insights into all that and how that works. But we've got a bunch of guys that are um, like, uh, what's his name? Lombardi, you know, guys who have been in the meeting rooms with them. They've got their own podcast. They know a little bit about what's going on in there. Daniel Jeremiah has spent time in those rooms. I don't know that we've ever had an NFL GM start a show because that's, I mean, that's an eagle-eye view of what's been going on. I'm hoping they do a little bit more. I'm hoping he's actually given... Like it's a regular show, not just talking to the 15 guys and it's a short series and then it's done. I want it to be an ongoing thing where he even evaluates talent and he talks about different teams and all that kind of stuff. Because the one thing that I've said consistently is that, you know, I've I've defended PFF to the death on this show. And largely it's just because it's the absolute best resource that we have. And I said, the only thing that I might trust a little better is if somebody like Brian Gutekunst went and started their own site or scouting service and said, I think this guy is really, really good. And PFF says, we don't think he's very good. I'd probably take Gutekunst's uh, opinion over PFFs. Otherwise, I don't really care. But to have a GM say, I'm going to start my own show and we're going to talk about GM stuff, I'm going to be there. Um... Let me read a little bit, a little excerpt for the, from this. Instead, Dimitrov, who was fired in 2020, is headed to the small screen where he's going to give football fans something they haven't seen uh, much of before, the life of an NFL general manager as we know it involves drafting players, making trades, and negotiating contracts. But what else? We're about to get some insights on some of that and more thanks to Dimitrov and 15 GMs in the NFL, It's just the one thing that makes me think it's a short-form thing. Like, why not 16? You're not bringing anybody else in? I don't understand. According to this week's Football Morning in America column via NBC Sports, Dimitrov is producing a TV show which will help fans better understand what exactly general managers do. I think Dimitrov is on to something big. The former Falcons general manager has now interviewed 15 GMs, so maybe it will be bigger. That's what he's done so far, which is crazy. He just got fired and he's already accomplished this. Um, 15 GMs for an unfiltered TV show that he's producing. The idea is to show aspects of the job and the personalities behind it that often go unseen or explained. The column goes on to name four front office executives who are part of the operation already. Those four are Howie Roseman of the Eagles, Jason Licht of the Buccaneers, Mickey Loomis of the Saints, and Brett Veach for the Chiefs. I would assume, knowing the Packers' M.O., they're not a part of that. The M.O. being, we don't participate in anything ever. (laughs) We are the most isolationist franchise in the world, which probably works to our benefit in terms of being a a good football team. Um, Not so much in terms of off-season entertainment, but we'll see what happens. Says, additionally, two other GMs likely to be interviewed in the show include Bill's Brandon Bean and Raven's Eric DaCosta. Those two we know thanks to local restaurants in both their respective markets. Okay. But um, Bar Bill Tavern outside of Buffalo shared an image of Dimitrov interviewing Bean back in June. In another post uh, relating to Dimitrov's undertaking, Jimmy Famous Seafood in Baltimore also hinted that DaCosta will be among the 15. So again, it sounds like it's going to be a short form kind of thing, but I am unbelievably excited. So make sure you keep your eyes open for that. I also wanted to elaborate now that PFF has gotten involved in this. As I mentioned before, several people have asked me and continue to ask me, probably every time I uh, ask for questions, this question will come up, um, something to the effect of what is the best and worst you can see the Packers doing? Or what you know, what is the worst that could happen with Jordan Love, the best that could happen, Aaron Rodgers, et cetera, et cetera? Well... PFF chimed in on that and brought a little bit of mathematics with them, or however you, you do statistics for gambling. Best and worst case scenarios for every NFC team ahead of the 2021 NFL season. And what they did is, you know, again, part of the problem I had with it um, is that I said nothing is really impossible. You know, what you know, when you say what is the worst case scenario, 0 16 is the worst case scenario. It's wildly unlikely, but it's a scenario. Um, 17 and 0 is also a scenario, wildly unlikely, but it's a possibility. Well, what they did, um, understanding that, being much smarter than me, said, what is the 10th percentile outcome compared to the 90th percentile outcome? So if you look at a, uh, graph distribution or whatever, you get the sort of bell curve, and they don't show a curve of it, but you can picture it in your brain, um, In the middle, somewhere is the most likely outcome, and then you get sort of the extremes to the edges where you know the probability of it is almost zero all the way to the end. So they go to the 10th percentile, being the lowest but not you know um, impossibly unlikely, and they go to the 90th percentile outcome, which is sort of best case scenario without getting silly, I guess is what we're talking about. So their answer on the 90th percentile outcome which is um, sort of best-case scenario in a realistic universe, 14-3. The little blurb about how we got there, the offseason drama with the Rodgers amounts to nothing, and the reigning MVP returns to lead another extremely efficient offense in 2021. No team generated more EPA per play than Green Bay did over the course of last season. The Packers are able to replace Corey Lindsley, PFF's highest-graded center in 2020, and Rick Wagner, PFF's 12th highest-graded right tackle. On the offensive line, without much of a drop-off, and Amari Rodgers adds a different skill set to the offense. Kevin King and Eric Stokes combine to provide more reliability, a more reliable play at the cornerback spot opposite Jair Alexander as well. King earned just a 45.6 coverage grade in their last role last season. So that's best-case scenario. Now, worst-case scenario, 8-9. and I'll be honest, I was pretty excited to see that because my worst-case scenario is somewhere around 6-ish wins as as far as realistic bad scenarios, 5-6 wins. But uh, they're seeing worst-case scenario, and this isn't with Aaron Rodgers. This is with Jordan Love. Their worst-case scenario with Jordan Love is 8-9. and nine. This is how they got there. These simulations assume Aaron Rodgers is at quarterback, but let's assume Rodgers' standoff doesn't end up with him returning to the Packers and putting up another MVP-caliber performance. Instead, Jordan Love takes over for Rodgers, who either sits out the season or forces the Packers to acquiesce to a trade request. Love has the tools to deliver an impressive 2021 performance, but he also showcased questionable decision-making throughout his time at Utah State. He ranked among the top five quarterbacks in the FBS in both big-time throws and turnover-worthy plays during his final collegiate season in 2019. Love's tendency to put the ball in harm's way uh, could contribute to his eight-win season for Green Bay. I don't think that's a half-bad. If their worst-case scenario for not only is Aaron Rodgers not here, but Jordan Love isn't good, is eight and nine. Sounds to me like PFF doesn't necessarily disagree with us when we say, we still have a good team. Because any team that's led by a garbage quarterback that is basically a 500 team, that ain't that bad. And again, this assumes Jordan Love is bad. So that's their assessment of it. I know a lot of people are asking that question. I don't have a good answer for it, but I was excited to see uh, PFF be so generous. Because again, if Jordan Love comes in and is good, then they're going to have a much better record. So worst case scenario, we go 8-9. The only reason that would be bad is if the plan is to replace Jordan Love and we're picking at like 17th, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. The only other little bit of news that I wanted to get out there, apparently uh, Mr. Jordan Love, who has been working a lot this offseason, we've seen plenty of examples of that, Uh, he is currently with his agent David Mulligetta. I think is how you say his name, I'm not sure. Uh, David Mulligetta is a, a very, very high-profile uh, player agent, and I guess he also represents Deshaun Watson and Justin Fields. So he must have set up some kind of an event somewhere and had all his guys come out. I'm sure he probably paid for it and all that to give him a little bit of extra work and some training. And um, the the reaction seemed to be somewhat negative or like competitive or whatever. I think it's kind of awesome. You know, Jordan Love hasn't really had a lot of opportunity to get in any real good reps. Obviously, he's working with some great coaches, some great trainers, and all that kind of stuff, but in terms of working behind really quality quarterbacks, the best he's had is a little bit of time behind Aaron Rodgers last year, but not really, because again, there was no real preseason, and he was uh, number three on the depth chart, so the best he could do is observe Aaron Rodgers from the bench, which is not all that much better aside from wearing a headset and being able to know what's going on. Not much better than me watching on television. So I think to be able to be there with Justin Fields and Deshaun Watson, who are both talented quarterbacks, um, it's not going to hurt. And I'm sure the quarterbacks are talking to each other and, and and helping out each other as well as the coaches and everybody else. I just think it's all good, and I'm glad to have seen it. I don't see any reason for uh, this to stoke any hatred or resentment among the fan bases. How do you know get hit that guy away from Mike? No, dude. If if a little bit of Justin Fields can rub off on Jordan Love, I'm good with it. Even if a little bit of Jordan Love rubs off on Justin Fields, if I have to choose between Jordan Love and Justin Fields being dominant or Jordan Love and Justin Fields both being trash, I choose both dominant. I will take another 20 years of Packers dominance while also running parallel to a really scary and dangerous Bears team, but hey, at least we're awesome, than 20 years of darkness and despair alongside the Bears who are always in a miserable state. So yeah, go for it. Anyways, big shout out to uh, Mr. Jeremy Retz as well as Aaron Alice for donating to the Palmer Home for Children. I put on Twitter that I was going to be matching um, all donations in the next 24 hours, and I may extend that a little bit because obviously you're not getting this until about 12 hours after I first said it, Um, but roughly 24 hours. um, I'll be donating and matching any donations up to $200, and I'm hoping that we can get close to that. Um, we are about a quarter of the way there right now, thanks to those two very generous donations. And please don't think you're doing me any favors by uh, cutting back and not doing the donation, because I, I would be more than happy to give the full donation. I'm actually hoping that I do get that opportunity. So if you're even slightly considering it, try to get it into this little window for the next, uh, I don't know, We maybe maybe we'll just run it until, until we uh, talk with Malcolm on Saturday. Although, when is this? Oh, it's Friday. Yeah, you're... Today's Thursday for me, it's Friday for you, Saturday. So yeah, we got another another 24 hours, that works. Just give me a minute to work through this, all right? Talk amongst yourselves. Anyways, if you could do that, that would be greatly uh, great. That would be greatly great if you could do that. Again, you can find my pinned tweet on Twitter, as well as go to the Packernet Podcast Facebook group, and you'll find a pinned post right there. Or just reach out to me anywhere, and I'll get you a link. If you don't feel like going there and filling out their donation form and giving them your credit card information, you can always send it to me. Just let me know that that is for the Palmer Home for Children like several people have, and I will be sure to uh, set up that donation as well as attribute it to you or whoever it is you want me to attribute it to. It doesn't matter to me. If you want to support me personally, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. So I've already done this before. I've already talked about Jair, and um, I forgot who it was. Bucky Brooks or somebody kind of did a Jair thing. I, I don't remember if they had him fifth or what it was, but I, I went through this whole thing, and I, I talked about how it was just nonsense, and the guys in front of them, they were fine, but they're not as good as Jair, and I don't know like, what what could possibly be your reasoning. Well, a bunch more people came out with the ranking. Some of the, every right now if you look around, which is what I've been doing, I scour websites and YouTube and everything else to find content for this show because I love you guys. I love you guys. Apparently we have gotten to the point where the number one goal is to make lists. We're going to rank everybody. We're going to find the top 100, the top 25, the top 32, the top 1, the top 3, the top 7, the top 19 water boys and girls. But every site in the world has gone through, at some point, their uh, cornerback rankings. And and maybe, maybe, like, one of them had Jair number one. Um, Probably one or two had him, like, second or third. But a lot of them are just flat-out disrespectful. And I'm seeing it all over Twitter. And I'm trying not to engage in it because, again, I've already done this. And a lot of these guys—and I think I even said this last time I talked about it. Somebody else—that's what it was. There was a Twitter spat and somebody laid out the rankings. I think it was Vikings fans. This is how this whole thing with me getting after Vikings fans started. They started ranking, and they said, these guys are all better than Jair. They literally just ripped off, I think it was Bucky Brooks's article, because he listed the other four guys that Bucky, or whoever it was, had put in front of Jair, and I went through how that's silly, and there's no reason to assume that. I went through all the stats, everything, And again, now there's a bunch of other sites that are all saying the same kind of nonsense. And I found something because I can go through all of them and just list them off. But I found a clip that I thought is just hilarious. And it perfectly sums all of this up. I just want to play it for you so that we can all just throw our heads back and laugh. Number three, Jair Alexander. Jair Alexander was the stickiest in coverage and the most consistent corner all throughout the 2020 season last year. He showed flashes before, but in 2020, he put it all together. And if you compare Alexander to Ramsey, he had a lower completion percentage allowed, lower passing yards allowed, and uh passer rating allowed, he was better than Ramsey. So statistically, he was had a better year than Jalen Ramsey, and that's why he's my number three corner. Wait a minute. <laughs> wait, 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 hold on. This is from NFL.com, but or not what it's I never know. what the, This is from NFL. I don't know. What do you call it? Because it's not com. This is, I guess, the NFL YouTube channel. But it's just like if it was CBS, I would say this is from CBS. It's so weird saying this is from NFL. No, no, NFL Network, I guess. I don't know. But just, just, just wait a second, because this is this is exactly what makes me laugh about this whole thing. Why is he number three? And he breaks it down, right? He's like, well, look, if you look at it, he is the most athletic. He is the stickiest. He is the fastest. He was the best statistically. He was better than everybody, and that's why he's my number three. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on here a second. But that's that's what this whole thing is. I just and I, I get how the media works. A lot of these guys, they just don't know. They go with the big names, right? Everybody said Jalen Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey. Right? And, and granted, he didn't have Jalen Ramsey number one, but still, Xavier Howard had all the interceptions, so he's going to get a lot of love. Jair, and I mentioned this before, he's a Packers corner. Right? If, if you're talking about Aaron Rodgers, fine. But Jair, no, dude, that's a Packers corner. And he's some young guy, and like, okay, I get... Because they don't know... They're, listen, nobody's watching every snap of every game. Nobody is. And nobody's taking such studious notes as to actually compare every single corner to every other corner. So a lot of this is just filling in a lot of gaps. So it's a lot of hearsay. So they hear the word on the street is Jair is real good. They've seen a couple highlights. They've watched a couple games. They've seen a couple things, but they haven't really watched the same way they've seen other things. And so they're just kind of filling in the gaps. And it's hard to take somebody, if you don't know, it's hard to take somebody like Jair and leapfrog a guy like Jalen Ramsey, who presumably has been doing it forever, although he hasn't. He had a very good year last year. He had several years in which he wasn't all that great. He's very scheme dependent. He cannot play man, which is why he doesn't belong in the same conversation as Jair, in my opinion. Whoa, I just ripped my microphone thing out of its stand, trying to get trying to get it right where I want it. Hey there. Um, this thing's all out of whack. We're good. We're back. We're at it. We're doing it. We're rocking it. The fact of the matter is, even if J- Jalen had a slightly... Um, l- let me put it this way. If, if you could choose a corner between Jalen Ramsey and Jair, and you took Jalen, you're an idiot. Um, a press man corner. And, and I'm not talking about a guy that's bad in zone, but good in man. He's probably almost as good in man, or excuse me, in zone. He is the number one Man corner in all of football. That is so unbelievably valuable in the Packers' habit. And he gets no respect for it. And it's just weird to me. So, again, a lot of this shouldn't be taken so seriously because people just don't know, right? And, and it, yeah, Packers fans are a little bit biased, but again, lay out the statistics. Xavier Howard is only better in one category, and that's it. Jair beats everybody in every category. Everywhere. He's the only guy I think that's, that is, I think, graded as elite in man and zone via PFF. He's one of the very few dominant man corners. Statistically, just one of the best in football. He graded out PFF's number one, but yet nobody even wants to use that cheat code, right? The stats and the grades and everything else are right in front of you. But again, it's some young guy that, that doesn't get talked about a lot. And until other people start talking, and this is why I say the media is slow. Everything is very slow. They're very slow to come around to players. They're very slow to get off of players. That's why Yannick Ngakwe was supposed to transform the Minnesota Vikings because the guy was good three years ago, and the media still hasn't caught up to the fact that he's not good anymore and hasn't been good the last three years. That's how slow they are. They're stuck on the name. I mean, they're, they're basically the media is basically casual fans, right? Or or slightly above casual fans, right? They're not diehards. They're not like you know, people that live and breathe statistics and and all these different things. They're they're just not. And I, I say the media, obviously, I technically could be part of that. And there are other people in it that are like me that do the work. But the big time guys that wear the suits and are on television, almost all of them are the exact same guys that'll tell you that Yannick Ngakwe is a great football player. And then, of course, they'll just ghost once Yannick disappears and they won't talk about the fact that they pumped him up forever because they didn't realize that he had been bad for so long and he really only had one good year it's just absurd to me so again, this is also why I defend PFF so much, because a lot of people that hate what I say about PFF are people that sit and consume NFL Network, ESPN, all these things over and over again. So they're listening to people that have no idea. They're listening to casuals, educate them on football. And when I come at them with PFF grades and statistics and say something that is so counter to your understanding, it's like, this guy's an idiot. He thinks that so-and-so isn't, he thinks Devin White isn't a good linebacker. This guy's an idiot. No, and I've got statistics to back it up. On top of the grades, from, from whether, you, whether you believe in the grades or not, the grading from a company that is the only professional scouting service available to the public who grades every single snap of every single play, saying that Devin White was actually one of the worst linebackers in football, gave up more yards through the air than anybody, I believe, and um, was all around kind of terrible. But yeah, he's really fast, and he makes some big plays to the outside, and I'm sure his highlights are really awesome. But again, there are certain areas where it's just completely counter-narrative. But you got to understand, a lot of these guys, they just don't know. And there are certain things that get burned in that nobody checks on it. And Devin is one of those things. He was really highly drafted, and he's got some really good highlights, and the team's really excited about him. They don't know that he hasn't been doing very well. right? When he sprints to the sideline and blows up a play and meets a running back at the sideline, everyone's like, dude, that's why you draft that guy, right? That's why. And it's true. But when a center picks him up with three fingers and throws him 14 yards down the field out of the way and then moves on to the next block, making a massive hole up the center of the field because that guy can't get off blocks to save his life, nobody puts that on ESPN or SportsCenter or whatever. Is that even a thing anymore? I typed in SportsCenter today and ESPN just popped up. Is SportsCenter a thing anymore? I never watched it when it was a thing because it was boring, but I don't know. It's got to be, right? Is that still, people still watch that? I don't know. I never understood people that just left SportsCenter on twenty four seven. I mean, I guess, I guess if you like more than just football and you actually like all these sports, it's kind of awesome. But I mean, even that was like, dude, after fifteen minutes, they're talking about the same story again. Like, dude, can we please change the channel? This is the seventeenth time watching some golfer I've never heard of make a putt. I can't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna lose it. I can't do this. But again, he is getting some respect. I, for some reason, didn't put the link in here, but I had a note. I believe it was PFF that said it, but they had a top 25 under 25. Again, it's nothing but lists everywhere. List, 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 list. Top 25 under 25, Jair was ranked number one. Actually, I think it was Pro Football, uh, not Focus, not Reference, uh, Pro Football Network, which I believe is Tony Pauline's gig. I think they were the ones. They had the top 25 under 25, and there's some real good football. I mean, I don't even think I would have been mad if a couple of these guys got put ahead of Jair, um, but they didn't. And um, that's, so he he is getting a lot of respect in certain circles. And, and again, you get a guy like Tony Pauline. And even though I think even guys like that have to fill in the gaps a little bit, they have to pretend they know more than they do because it's their job and they can't know everything, but they can't also say, I just don't know. These are guys that actually do study and they do pay attention. And so if a guy like that says uh, Jair is the number one guy under 25, that's, to me, that speaks volumes. So again, it depends where you look. Even this, this clip I got from NFL YouTube, he um, still had him number three, which I think is fair. He had, uh, who was his number one? I don't remember, but uh, Zavian was two and somebody else's number one. But even number three is is fair. I just, I, I just thought it was funny because that's the best argument that I get from anybody about why Jair shouldn't be number one well he's the fastest he's the twitchiest he's he's like glue on everybody he's super athletic he can play man coverage. just stats are better than anybody's probably like number five <laughs> <laughs> make one case in which one player was better than Jair and I, fully acknowledging that he's probably not going to be number one this year. I hope he doesn't have a massive drop-off. But the thing is, when he gets there, give him the credit for it. All the more reason he deserves credit. I'm not saying he's the next Darrell Revis and he's going to stay at the top. But when a guy accomplishes it, give him, give him credit. Like Zadarius never got credit. He was, he was robbed of all... Best pass rusher in the NFL in 2019. He didn't even make the Pro Bowl. He got no credit from anybody. Anybody. He got a little bit of credit the next year when his stats dipped. It's just, it's messed up. And, and you know, not everybody can know everything, but if you're going to have a website, if you're going to have a television show, if you're going to have a YouTube channel or a podcast, you got to know. You got to know Jair lit the league on fire and dominated every single category, gave up like 350 yards on the entire season, gave up, I think, two touchdowns and had, what, four picks or something? Played some of the better wide receivers in football and shut them all down. You got to know these things because the guy deserves respect. And again, the fact that he's probably not, ne- he, he may never have a season quite that good again is all the more reason to just stand up and give him five minutes and applaud him and say he was the best this year. Kudos to you. And you can even preface it by saying he probably won't do that again. He got a little bit lucky. Maybe he drops off. I don't even think he's that good. But whatever it is you want to say, say it, but give the man the respect that he deserved. He's not the fifth best corner. He's not the fourth or the third. He, he's not the I mean, even even trying to put Xavier ahead of him. Xavier's stats weren't that good outside of picks. Jalen might be the only one you can put up there with him. But again, outside of, I think, yards, every other statistic was in Jair's favor. The grades were in Jair's favor. And again, Jalen is, is in a very scheme-dependent, zone-heavy scheme. Jair doesn't need that. I think Jair played a good amount of zone also but he doesn't need it. He dominates in man coverage. You put him on an island and he killed everybody. And even those, even those one-to-one comparisons of when Jalen and Jair played the same guy, Jair did better every single time. There's no justification for putting anybody ahead of Jair. And I'm I'm, I'm just saying, I I don't want to be a guy that's being biased, but I'm not. You cannot make a case for anybody realistically above Jair that makes any sense. I'm standing here telling you, Zadarius probably didn't even deserve the Pro Bowl this past year. I don't care. He faltered. Kenny Clark has been, he's basically had one good year. I I don't know that he's going to bounce back. I'm worried that he may not bounce back. I'm not just trying to be biased and say, worship all my favorite guys. I'm just telling you, he was the best. Rodgers got credit for being the best. He won MVP. He got all the accolades. And I think you could probably make a case that one or two might have been better than him. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Bakhtiari gets a decent amount of credit. I would bet on most lists he's number one or number two. I doubt anyone's going to dare put him fifth or worse. Or worse. No T on that phrasing. I just, it's just, it just drives me nuts. It's just an, and again, it's just because it doesn't make any sense. At least try to make an argument. Nobody's making an argument. No, What is the argument? Yeah, he was the best, so he's third. God, just, ugh. doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I could probably just save that. I should just save that to the side because fifty percent of everything I talk about that that's an applicable line from a movie. Just people saying things, and I'm losing my mind because it's like, how how does nobody see what I'm seeing right now? This is driving me insane. I'm go I'm going to go crazy. Speaking of, we might as well get these out of the way since I'm all fired up. Um, there were two other articles that I probably should have ignored, but I couldn't. Um, this one again lists lists and more lists by Cody Benjamin of cbsports.com says 2021 NFL head coach ranking Andy Reid edges Bill Belichick as number 1 Bruce Arians Matt LaFleur crack the top 10 <sighs> So and, and and it's funny that they even phrase it that way because that was my exact assessment when I saw this So Matt LaFleur comes in ninth and my exact thought was it's, it's so similar to Jair it's ridiculous So season third with the Packers as head coach career record 26 and 6 which is stupid, his playoff record is 2-2. Two and two. Goes on to say, does he benefit from having Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback? Of course, but let's not pretend you go 13-3 and, and advance to the NFC Championship game in two straight seasons just because of one player. LaFleur has successfully instituted emphasis on the ground game and defense in addition to getting MVP dominance from A-Rod in 2020. The question is, can he broker Rodgers' return to Green Bay? And if so, can he get more aggressive in key spots to get over the hump? This, to me, looks like the writer. What is his name again from CBSSports.com? Let's scroll up to the top here. What do we got? Uh, Cody Benjamin. Um, Not to be confused with the other Benjamin guy. I don't know what his name is. Um, This is a guy who did not want to give Matt LaFleur any credit, and I don't know why. And the only thing I can think, again, is that old trope that you cannot give anybody in Green Bay respect outside of Aaron Rodgers. And if you try, you're an idiot because it's all just because of Aaron Rodgers. That's what this is for. It doesn't matter what Matt LaFleur does. It doesn't matter that he has the winning winningest record right now of just about any head coach with the similar or same amount of games under his belt. That is to say, there might be a handful of guys with a higher record that were, you know, were coaches for four games and won all four. 26 and 26-6, I don't know if that's ever happened. And, and even bringing up Aaron Rodgers is so stupid considering what the team was before Matt LaFleur got here. And I feel like I've said this again. I could bring up the crazy pills. I should just, I should just have a button for that. Taking crazy pills. Just look at the season prior to with Aaron Rodgers with almost the exact same pieces in place. The team was disjointed, it was dysfunctional, and it didn't do anything. It couldn't even beat really bad football teams. It got annihilated by everybody. It was a joke. It was a laughing stock. Matt LaFleur came in, and just as he he even wrote it here, and that's the thing, And almost all these things, they write out exactly what I'm saying, which explains why he shouldn't be number nine. It says LaFleur has successfully... In addition to getting MVP dominance from A-Rod in 2020. Yes! Yes! Aaron Rodgers doesn't win MVP without Matt LaFleur. Is it also true that Matt LaFleur probably doesn't get to the NFC Championship game without Aaron Rodgers? Yes. But Aaron Rodgers... Is not just this walking deity that wins MVP every year and gets to the NFC Championship game every year and just brings coaches along for the ride. The Green Bay Packers were very, very good when they had a really, really good head coach in Mike McCarthy. When Mike McCarthy was no longer a really, really good head coach, the entire team nosedived and Aaron Rodgers didn't get in the way. He barely broke the fall. They crashed and burned so hard, I thought it would take several years to recover if they ever could, because if you're that bad with Aaron Rodgers, what are you going to do? Matt LaFleur comes in, they're dominant. Dominant to a point that it's one of the best teams that the Packers have had since their Super Bowl run, 2011? I don't, I don't know. I understand they didn't win a Super Bowl, but if they went head-to-head, would they beat the 2010 or 2011 Packers? I think there's a good chance they would. The 2011 defense was pretty brutal pretty bad. And so I just I just don't get it. I don't understand how this guy who comes in and writes the ship in one year and has the best record of any head coach in football right now, who has not only turned around the team record-wise and statistic-wise and who has resurrected Aaron Rodgers' career after he was headed straight in the dumpster, he's also fixed the locker room. But oh, 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 his entire career is dependent on whether he can broker a deal with Rodgers Matt LaFleur has nothing to do with that. If Rodgers leaves that's on Rodgers, and that has nothing to do with Matt LaFleur, and it doesn't in any way tarnish his record, that's stupid. Matt LaFleur's record stands on its own. And again, no credit whatsoever. No credit whatsoever. None. Jair gets a little bit. Not enough, but he gets credit. If you ask about Jair, people say, dude, he's real good. Like top five. And it's like, i ah, smack you. But it's true. He is top five, technically. If you ask people about Matt LaFleur, yeah, I don't know has yeah, some questionable play calling, you should have kicked the film Throw yourself off a cliff. Not a not a super high one. I'm, you know, just like at a playground or something, you know like a big hill, like a snow hill, a sledding hill. no snow on it, sledding hill. Um, it's not really a cliff. We call it a cliff in my in my hood roll down a hill. And I don't know. But Bruce Arians is ahead of him. I guess you, it's hard to compete with that because he in one year went to the Super Bowl and won. Um, there's the chairs. There they are. Found them. Um, and so that's a thing. Pete Carroll comes in at seven. No, absolutely not. Look, I, I, I like Pete Carroll. I do. I, I think he's a big part of the reason Seattle's winning. But um they're not winning as much as the Packers are winning, and he also has a guy like Aaron Rodgers by the name of Russell Wilson, um, and he also has if anything more questionable calls, and he has a equally disgruntled quarterback who just about every year says I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. So that's that's dumb. Uh, Sean McVeigh, of the Rams. I'm so sick of this. I'm so this is again the media can't give it up. The guy was like a hot thing for one or two years. And I get they made it back to the playoffs, but they got to the playoffs because of their defense. Their offense has nosedived, especially since Matt LaFleur left, by the way. Their number one asset seemed to get better, a lot better, when Matt LaFleur showed up, who happens to be a quarterback coach. When he left, their quarterback took a nosedive in terms of talent, and the whole team has only been able to stay afloat because of a defense led by really good defensive coordinators who have a really good scheme and also the best defensive player in all of football on Aaron Donald. The whole Sean McVay is this wondrous, amazing, genius thing, it should be dead by now. It's not that he's bad at football, he's not. But there are other guys that are doing the same kind of stuff. One of them, by the way, is Matt LaFleur, who beat Sean McVay in the playoffs. Sean McDermott and the Bills. I, this is another guy. I mean, he just gets unbelievable heaps of praise. I'm not mad at him, but I don't know why he gets so much praise. Unanimous praise. Him and Bean, the GM, who is massively overrated. Not that he's bad, but why is he seen as the best GM in football? I've gone through his draft picks. It's like, yeah, okay. He drafted a quarterback who broke out this past year, and he went out and got Stephon Diggs. Cool. <laughs> Throw a freaking Parade. The guy is thirty-eight and twenty-six, and his playoff record is two and three. That sounds a lot worse than Matt Lafleur's, doesn't it? And you got Sean Payton and the Saints. I guess he is a good, good coach, and he he kind of reinvented himself, similar to what Andy Reid did. It was kind of what Mike McCarthy needed to do, but couldn't. He had to reinvent himself to be a more modern offense, and he did that. Took uh, uh, what's his name, Drew Brees from a downfield aerial assault to a guy that gets the ball out of his hand very, very quickly, which is smart um, because his arm strength was going and based on the talent that they built. I mean, he, just, he, he rebuilt the team, and he's done a fantastic job. Um, I think you can make an argument for Lafleur Le, for over Sean Payton, especially since the Packers seem to be better than the Saints these past few years. But I guess, especially, again, because the media is slow and they don't like to change their minds on stuff, John Harbaugh and the Ravens, this guy gets again, just too much he's not bad, but he's all they're always gushing over the guy. I don't necessarily see it. I mean, Lamar is is a great quarterback. That has nothing to do with John Harbaugh. Um the defense has nothing to do with John Harbaugh. I, I just I don't know. I mean, they they just they run the ball a lot, which is cool. So I don't know. That's a thing. I shouldn't say the defense has nothing to do with them, but. And you got Bill Belichick of the Patriots. Again, this is entirely based on his historic record because the Patriots were trash last year, and the fact that he's number two is a joke. And then Andy Reid of the Chiefs, fine. You know, It's hard to dispute Andy Reid. Um, I mean, his record is is not as good as Matt LaFleur's. A longer record, but not as good. 17-5 uh, and five in the playoffs is close to 500, which is what Matt LaFleur is at. Slightly better than. And yes, he does have a Super Bowl, although he is 1-2 and two in the Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, I'm fine with Andy Reid being number one. I'm not super mad about all this, but some of this is silly. Putting him at number nine, do we have to be so slow all the time? Can we just, can we build a criteria? That's that's the thing. If you build a criteria, a blind criteria, because nobody does blind criterias. They They put together a list, and then they tweak it based on how much hate they're going to get. Like, well, I can't do that. We got to put this guy out there because everybody knows. Everybody knows you got to put him there. And they just rank it based on that. And it probably takes him an afternoon to do it. So some of this, if they went back and did it again, I bet if you had this guy do it again, he wouldn't have the same list because he doesn't have any kind of criteria. He didn't build a formula of how I'm going to rank these guys based on this, 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 this. And the fact of the matter is, I think if you built any kind of formula that uh, looked at a coach and and his ability to do good stuff, Matt LaFleur would be a lot higher than ninth. Just, it's just a reality because I don't know what you could possibly look at other than experience and possibly the quality of the team. But again, the quality of the team is reflective of the coach. Largely, it can be proven by the Green Bay Packers. Same team under Mike McCarthy, not good. Very good under Matt LaFleur. <sighs> I think there was one other thing. I should be done now, but I'm, I'm going to be done. I'll just save it. It's it's the same thing. It's, just, it's more stupid stuff because we're in peak stupid season. Uh, which is, I guess, is fine for me. It's something for me to do in the off season. Find stupid things, call stupid people stupid people, and uh, you know we all have a good time laughing together. But uh, this has gone on long enough. We'll save it for tomorrow. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye bye.